This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. A program for and about America's 78 million baby boomers. Here's your host, Freddie Bell. Hi, everyone. This is New Beginnings. I am Freddie Bell. Glad you're with us today. And coming up on the show, many of our favorite partners, including Libel Sturmbach is here, Joe McKenzie, and friends from AARP Minnesota. All this plus the words to the wise on New Beginnings. And our program is underway right now. Joining us now is Regents Professor and Epidemiologist Michael Osterholm. He joins us this morning as we continue our conversation this week, talking about where we stand right now with COVID-19. Dr. Osterholm, thank you for being with us. When we last talked, you mentioned that COVID-19 is one of those diseases that could be with us for quite some time. To avoid sounding like a broken record, I'll just say that the general trend we've seen play out the past month or two has basically continued with COVID activity continuing to climb. That said, I think it's also worth pointing out that these increases are happening at a time when many of the systems that were established for COVID surveillance globally either have been or are currently being dismantled. So that really has been a significant challenge when it comes to interpreting the latest trends and understanding the actual scale of the recent uptick. To maybe put this into perspective, let me just share a couple of examples. First, according to the latest weekly COVID report that published by the WHO on September 1st, in other words, last Friday, 61% of the world's countries did not report even a single case of COVID during a 28-day period that spanned from July 31st to August 27th. Remember that 61% of the world's countries did not report a single case. And again, that trend has continually worsened throughout the past year. Likewise, in terms of COVID hospitalizations, just 15 of 234 countries, or only 6%, have reported any data regarding hospitalizations. For deaths is a similar story with a significant underreporting across entire regions. Just look at Africa, a continent that's home to 1.2 billion people. In the 28-day period from July 31st to August 27th, a total of four COVID deaths were reported there, only four. In the Eastern Mediterranean region, which has a population of 600 million, just 28 deaths were reported. And in Southeast Asia, just 54 deaths were reported across a population of almost 700 million. Now, trust me, I would celebrate these numbers if I thought that they were all valid, that they really reflected the actual activity in our communities. They don't. So it's harder to celebrate these very, very low numbers. So I think it's safe to say that we're missing some really pretty big pieces of the overall picture simply due to these gaps in reporting. Even the number of viral sequences that are collected and shared has dropped precipitously, going from more than 425,000 in August of 2022 to just now a year later, August of 2023, with less than 13,000 uploaded this past month. And of course, data are critical when it comes to tracking and monitoring variants. So ultimately, we're left with whatever data we do have available and have to interpret from that. And despite those gaps, it's been clear that the uptick in COVID activity across a number of places is very real. This includes countries like Canada, Italy, South Korea, and the UK. In South Korea, for example, weekly deaths went from less than 60 in early July to more than 250 now. In the UK, deaths have risen from 55 a week in late July to 115 a week by mid-August. 
Now, in this case, I think deaths in those countries does reflect a relative tip of the iceberg of what's underneath it. So, in fact, I think we can use these numbers to give us some sense of what's happening. And as you know, the U.S. has been no exception to this trend. Here we've seen hospitalizations climb for the past two months, with the number of new weekly admissions going from an all-time low of 6,300 in late June to over 17,000 the week of August 26. Meanwhile, the number of patients in an ICU with COVID has climbed from less than 700 to just over 1,600. And finally, we've seen weekly deaths grow from a pandemic low of 469 in early July to 641 the week of August 12th. And we know that the August 12th data are not yet complete, so the final reported deaths will be higher. Unfortunately, demographic data for these outcomes aren't always available. But from what I've seen, the highest burden continues to be reported in the older age groups, particularly those over 75, with some increase in those 65 years of age and older. For example, the COVID net data, which is collected from 13 states across the U.S., including Minnesota, indicates that nearly two-thirds of hospitalized COVID patients are 65 years of age and older. Again, not necessarily surprising with what we know about age as a risk factor for severe outcomes. That said, there is also recent data showing that more young children, those zero to four years of age, are being admitted with the virus, accounting for 5% of COVID hospitalizations in those COVID net states, up from less than 2% in early July. So what other data do we have that helps address this issue? Well, of course, we've seen the rises in wastewater activity, which has played out in all U.S. regions since late June, with the latest national average now more than three times higher than it was when the uptick began. So it's safe to say that more virus is circulating. And again, that that tracks with recent anecdotal accounts of increasing cases. I'm sure all of you already know the First Lady, Jill Biden, tested positive. This is the second time she's tested positive for the virus with her first infection last August, a little over a year ago. We wish her the very best. Reports have noted that she was with President Biden on Monday prior to receiving the positive test. He was tested and, at least publicly reported, still is negative. President Biden is also just a year out from his previous infection in July of 2022. Apart from that, there have been several outbreaks that have prompted school closures in some states, notably Oklahoma and California, and I'm aware of outbreaks occurring in schools now in at least 14 different states from information that we've collected. So you can see that this virus is still capable of causing disruptions. Otherwise, even with the recent rise in wastewater activity, I just want to point out that the latest levels currently sit at about half of what was reported during the peak this past December and even during the 2022 summer surge. That's not to say let your guard down, since it's still high relative to where we were just several months ago, but it might provide some really important context. Along that same vein, we've recently seen all-time lows in terms of hospitalizations and deaths in this country, which came as a result of six months of steady declines. Now, in no way do I want to minimize these recent increases, which are very real and worth additional monitoring. These are our fathers, our mothers, our grandfathers, our grandmothers that are getting sick largely and having serious illness. But I think that one silver lining has been that the overall numbers remain at just a fraction of what they've been throughout the majority of the first three years of the pandemic. Again, let me reiterate, we are not going back to the pandemic experience of 2020 to 2022. I have no doubt about that. 
He's Dr. Michael Osterholm, epidemiologist. Thank you so much for being with us this week, and you're listening to New Beginnings. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us. And it happened this week in 1793. President George Washington laid the foundation for the United States Capitol. In 1851, the New York Times was published for the first time. In 1927, the Columbia Phonograph Broadcasting Company debuted with a network of 16 stations, 16 radio stations. The company later became known as CBS. In 1934, the Soviet Union joined the League of Nations. In 47, the National Security Act went into effect. The Act the Army, Navy, and the Air Force. In 1951, the film A Streetcar Named Desire opened in Beverly Hills. The picture made Marlon Brando a star. In 1964, The Adams Family debuted on ABC. In 1965, I Dream of Jeannie debuted on NBC. Larry Hagman and Barbara Eden starred in the popular sitcom. In 1970, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Jimi Hendrix died in London after overdosing on sleeping pills. He was only 27. In 1975, the FBI captured newspaper heiress Patty Hearst in San Francisco 19 months after Hearst was kidnapped by the Symbionese Liberation Army. In 1983, the rock group Kiss appeared without their trademark makeup for the first time during a performance on MTV. In 1985, David Letterman read the top 10 list for the first time on The Late Night with David Letterman. The list was titled, Things That Almost Rhyme with Peas. And in 2001, the New York Stock Exchange reopened for the first time since the terrorist attack on September 11th. This was the longest time the New York Stock Exchange was closed since the Great Depression in the 1930s. I'm Freddie Bell, and it happened this week. Did you know that now you can see and hear Sunday morning services from Unity South Twin Cities? Search Unity South Twin Cities online and Facebook and catch the live stream Sunday mornings at 1030 on Facebook.com. Each year, financial fraud steals up to $37 billion from senior citizens. It was devastating. What are we going to do? Many lose their entire life savings. They told us we had no choice. The Center for Combating Elder Financial Abuse conducts extensive research and provides comprehensive training to individuals and organizations to help prevent elder financial abuse. You wiped us out. How could this happen? Join the fight at endefa.org. Thank you for listening to New Beginnings. You can stay up to date with this show. All you have to do is go to Google or to Apple and download the Freddie Bell Radio Shows app. Yes, download the Freddie Bell Radio Shows app and you'll be up to date on everything concerning this show and anything related to Freddie Bell. More to come. Stay with us. And now our supporting partner, AARP in the Twin Cities. And now we're joined by AARP Minnesota Associate State Director Jay Hapla on New Beginnings. Thanks for being here, Jay. Thanks. It's always good to be with you. Always fun to find out what's going on with AARP, and you've got a lot going on we want to get to today on New Beginnings. First, we're going to talk about livable communities, and then we're going to talk about some upcoming free conferences you have a little bit later on this month. But first, when you think AARP, you think about a community of people 
getting along, holding hands, singing kumbaya. Isn't that right, Jay? <laughs> well, they're not all created equally. And when we talk about livable communities at ARP, we're talking about a broad range of community features that are really built for people. And we're talking about places where people can go for a walk, places where people can afford their home and get all the services and health care they need. People need to be included in civic life and have work and have a good job and not only have the job, but be able to get there um, and volunteer if they choose. So you can tell already I'm talking about a broad range of issues. And, you know, with AARP, we're well known for our advocacy at the federal government with state governments, but we also work with local governments because for our members and all people uh, of any age, what happens in Washington, D.C. is important, but so is what happens in your own neighborhood and in your community. And so that's why we do this work. So we're talking about communities and it's not, it's so much more than a place you come home, hang your hat until the next day when you go to work. It truly is folks getting together, meeting one-on-one, sharing time together in their neighborhood and they're talking over the fence on their front porch and, and that's all good stuff. I think so. People can have some influence and have a voice in their community and really make changes that are good for people who live there. So that's, that's what we're trying to support at AARP. Um, and one way we, that we do that is through our network of age-friendly communities. So right now, here we are in 20 Minnesota communities, and the state of Minnesota itself have joined AARP's network of age-friendly communities. And by doing so, it's not that they're seeking some sort of stamp of approval that you might see in AARP the magazine, like when we publish the best places of re- to retire or the best places to take a vacation if you're over the age of 50. Instead, we're talking about membership in this network, which is a commitment by local leaders and the residents that they go through a five-year process to study the issues. Like I said at the beginning here, it could be housing and transportation and social inclusion and the services that people need. Uh, But they go through this process to assess uh, how well they're doing in these different domains of livability. They make an action plan, and then they implement those changes. And this is already happening in 20 places across the state. It's also growing, so there are many more communities that are interested in joining this network, and and we want to work with everyone across the state. In the Twin Cities here, Minneapolis, Hennepin County, Maple Grove, Oakdale, and Brooklyn Park have these local committees, and they're involved in this initiative, and we'd welcome more to join us. And also what you've got coming up, Jay Hapla, is uh, a couple of free conferences that is going to be partly online and partly in person here at the end of September. Please talk about that. That's right. And we're very excited about this. It's really the first first conference that we've been able to offer in partnership with Age Friendly Minnesota. So this is the governor's council appointed by Governor Walls and um with an expanding network of of organizations and individuals who are working across the state on these issues. And we at AARP are hosting a conference with them on September 27th, 28th, and 29th. So those first two days are virtual on the computer and anyone can participate without needing to travel or anything like that. Uh, Friday on on the third day of the conference, we are meeting in person uh, at eight different locations around the state. There are two of them here in the Twin Cities to choose from. Uh, on the 
on the University of Minnesota campus and say on the St. Paul side, and then over at the Minnesota Humanities Center. So we encourage people to attend the webinar part of the conference as well as the in-person part of the conference. It's September 27th, 28th, and 29th. And this is not so much a lecture where we're going to tell everyone what they ought to learn, but instead, as is the spirit of this, these programs that we offer in livable communities, it's a chance for participants to have a voice. Uh, the issues in one part of the Twin Cities are going to be different than they are in another part of the city or another part of the state. So we need people to have a voice uh, and join us in this conference to do so. It's easy to find online. The website is aarp.org slash events. All right. I want to give you those dates again. September 27th, 28th, and 29th. First two days are virtual. Third day, in person on September 29th. And the uh, website again is aarp.org slash events. That's where you go to sign up. aarp.org slash events. Jay Hapla, AARP Minnesota Associate State Director, thank you for being with us today on New Beginnings. Yes, sir. Thank you. It's time for the lighter side this week. If you're the type of person who's first in line on the first day that the pumpkin spice latte goes on sale, you'll want to pull up a chair at your computer to witness the fall colors in real time. EarthCam presents a collection of the best fall foliage camps, capturing the transformation of green countrysides into colorful explosions of reds and other autumn colors. Blue Ridge Country provides a list of regional webcams for your fall leaf viewing pleasure and autumn leaf peeping cams and fall foliage camps by Leaf Peepers. This website features various foliage camps, including Acadia National Park and Booth Bay Harbor. Here are four things that you probably didn't know. It's time to upgrade your brains. Number one, the most common speed limit in the United States is 25 miles an hour. Number two, the creator of the waffle iron did not actually like waffles. Number three, the longest word in the English language with all the letters in alphabetical order is a class of plants, A-E-G-I-L-O-P-S. And number four, a giraffe's heart weighs 24 pounds. Did you know that in our lifetime, we walk the equivalent of nine and a half times around the world during our adult life, research reveals that the average adult clocks 478.3 million steps over a lifetime, which tallies up to 239,148 miles, the same distance as a stroll to the moon. This same research reveals which job sectors spend the most time on their feet, hospitality and events management, retail, health care, engineering and manufacturing, property and construction, teaching and education, charity and voluntary work, transport and logistics, information technology, business, consulting, and management. And here are the most needed life skills. You know, a few years back, they surveyed adults and asked, what are the most needed life skills? The list included how to connect devices to Wi-Fi, how to cook, changing a tire, and online banking. What do you think are the most needed life skills? You can call me at 888-639-9738. And if you're a germaphobe, you should avoid your own car. A study found that the average vehicle has about 283 different types of bacteria inside it in every square inch. And that's not all. One of the worst offenders is the place you touch the most, the shifter that puts the car in drive and park. That 
Duke was found to be home for about 356 different germs. And not surprisingly, microbiologists determined those who transport children and pets had the most germ-filled cars. Just thought you'd like to know this week on New Beginnings. Even though the federal COVID public health emergency has ended, it's important to take steps to protect yourself from the virus. The ending of the public health emergency does not change the availability of COVID-19 vaccines. Vaccines will continue to be provided by the federal government through the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act. It's also anticipated that COVID-19 vaccines will transition to the private market in early fall. You can learn more details about the transitions at the Minnesota Department of Health. Introducing the New Beginnings Podcast, featuring career, health, and financial information for people on the go. To get your fresh start, visit freddiebell.com slash newbeginnings. Check out the new New Beginnings Podcast today. Get the most from AARP, including advice and support to help you care for your loved ones. Fraud prevention with tips and tools to help protect you from scams and fraud, including a free helpline if you've been targeted, a scam tracking map, and watchdog alerts via email through the AARP Fraud Watch Network. If you don't know AARP, you don't know ARP. More information at AARP.org. This is a news-oriented broadcast, and all information is educational in nature is not intended to be legal, securities, tax, or insurance advice. Please consult with the appropriate professional before acting on information heard during the broadcast. Join us as we talk about how to make the most of your Roth conversion and squeeze every penny out of it. We're also going to be talking about insider tips and tricks that they just don't tell you about. You're listening to New Beginnings, New Beginnings with Freddie Bell. Now it's my favorite time of the program when we turn our attention to talk finance with Label Sternbach. Label is an amazing author. He is the Amazon best-selling author of Living with Financial Anxiety and Authenticity. Hello, Label, and welcome back. Hey, how are you doing today? Unbelievable, and I'm really excited because, you know, we're talking about Roth conversions today. And to me, that's like new territory, but it's old territory. I'm not making sense there, but... It, there's always, to me, when I talk with you, there's a different wrinkle or a different aspect that I really had not considered. And uh, we, we did this last week when we were together. Label, uh, tell us, again, what is a Roth conversion to get started? So real basic, a Roth conversion is when we take money from our pre-tax retirement account. So think your traditional 401k, your traditional IRA, your 403b accounts, and you convert it into a Roth account where you've now prepaid your taxes, you paid that out front, and now it can grow tax-free. And when you take the money out, it is tax-free, assuming you follow the rules for distributions. So can you outline the steps that you have to take in that regard? So the steps are pretty simple. Um, You need to You fill out a form to do a Roth conversion uh, with whoever it is, and then they will move that money over. Um, Technically, what's happening is you're taking a distribution from your retirement account. You are then paying taxes on that distribution because that distribution is taxes, ordinary income. You are then making a contribution to your Roth account, but 
because you're doing this as a single step through your custodian, through whoever has you know uh, custody of your retirement accounts, you're able to do this. If you tried doing this on your own, you would you wouldn't be able to do the conversion. You wouldn't be able to do the contribution because you would be outside of the limits for doing the contribution. But it acts as a contribution to your Roth account, and your Roth account now has this greater balance. And Roth accounts have this nice feature where they grow tax-free, so you don't get taxed on the growth. And then when you take the money out, assuming that you're 59 and a half and you waited five years for that distribution, the growth is then tax-free as well. All right. We're talking with Label Sternbach, and we're talking about Roth conversions today. And what are some of the different conversion options? And, and before you answer that, I like the way that uh, you just make it so simple and so easy for us to go through. It seems like everybody should know this, but uh, that's why we've got you. So what are some of the different conversion options labeled Sternbach? So when you're doing those conversions, there's generally two ways the conversion can happen. And, and, and let me preface this by saying that not everyone who, not every bank allows for every possibility, right? So you know, you may, you know, Vanguard may allow you to do one way, Schwab may allow you to do it in other ways. Everyone's got their own rules for how they'll implement this. But from a IRS standpoint, from a tax standpoint, you know, from a legal standpoint of what the law allows for, there are two ways that these conversions can happen. Number one is you can sell the assets that you're converting. And so you sell it at whatever the market value is, you get cash, and then you convert the cash into your Roth account. When you do that, you know the exact value of it, and then you'll reinvest it in your Roth account. That is usually the simplest way to do it. Um, it's the easiest way from a tax standpoint, and you know, uh, it's generally the default that many, you know, I call them second tier uh, brokerage firms do. There's another way that's a little more difficult and requires more work on part of the brokerage firm but it allows you to transfer specific assets. So let's say you own, you know, and the S&P 500 in a retirement account, you can transfer that the shares of that S&P 500 fund, you would then get taxed on the value at the day of the transfer, right? So the day that it left your retirement account, you get taxed on that value. Now for me, right? allows me to look for stocks or mutual funds or ETFs that have been beaten up in uh, your retirement account. It allows me to find uh, stocks that have been beaten up and are you know at a loss and then I can transfer that and I'll capture that market you know recovery as the market recovers. I can capture that value and I get it tax free and I don't have to worry about the time period between when the money leaves my account, and it comes into the Roth account and then reinvesting it. Because remember, you know, there these things don't happen overnight. So when I send the money out or they liquidate it, you know, there's three, four days over there. There's a week or two in the transfer. We can lose out on quite a significant amount of market activity. And so by doing transferring the actual shares, we get to keep investing in the market during that entire transfer process. And uh, and hopefully if we're doing stocks that have been beaten up, we're getting a bigger bang for our buck when it transfers over. So of these two, which do you think is better? I 100% transfer in shares, right? If wherever possible, I try to transfer the shares. It's not always possible. I mean, I, I use Schwab, you know, we can do it there. 
Um, but if you're doing it, you know, at your 401k provider, they may not allow, they generally don't allow you to do it that way and then add some more steps. But wherever possible, I like to transfer the actual shares. Everyone, we're talking with Label Sternbach and we're talking about Roth conversions and the different types of conversions that are out there. Uh, before we go much further, is there anything like this on yields4u.com that we can access? So on yields4u.com, we've got two resources for you on this. Um, number one resource is we've got a guide called How to Pay Zero Taxes in Retirement. The other one is, is I've got a class I teach on a regular basis uh, by the same name. Um, where I go into more depth on this. Um, and then for the per people who participate in that class, um, I actually do, you know, based on my availability, I'll actually help them with the analysis and help them figure that out and answer their questions related to that. That's not a bad deal. And I'm just curious, can you talk a little bit about how a Roth conversion can have an impact on your taxes and if, and talk about what that impact could be? Yeah. So tax wise, when you pull that money out of that uh, retirement account, you're going to get hit with uh, as if you had worked that amount of money. It's going to be ordinary taxes. Right. So you're you're on your tax return. Your gross income is going to increase by whatever you took out of your retirement account or whatever you converted. Um, the reason why this is important is that what I call, you know, the years between when you separate from your employer, and you are the IRS requires you to take those required minimum distributions at age 70, you know, uh, 73 plus, let's call it. Um, so depending on where you're at, you may have this golden opportunity where you can take money out of your retirement accounts at a schedule that you get to decide and pay taxes on it based on your current tax bracket and because you don't have a salary and maybe even you're not even taking social security, you could potentially be in the 0% tax bracket or the 10% tax bracket or you know 12% and be at a much lower tax rate than you will be when you're later on in retirement and the IRS is requiring you to take you know five, six, seven percent out of your retirement accounts. Interesting. So should you use your IRA funds labeled to pay for the taxes or should you use other funds? So traditionally, right, traditionally, the advice that's given is that you shouldn't use your retirement funds to pay the taxes on them because that's going to decrease the amount of growth, the, the amount of value that you're going to get out of that conversion. So if you have money elsewhere, 100%, you should probably use it because, uh, you know, you'll get this much better value of, you know, whatever money ends up in your Roth account. So the more money that ends up in your Roth account the the greater return and you know the greater tax savings having said that though right if all you have is retirement funds which some people are are that way that shouldn't tell you don't you know do the conversion what really matters is what's the impact going to be on your retirement lifestyle right on the amount of money that you're going to be able to draw on in retirement um as well as your future taxes and so if you know that you're going to have a savings it doesn't really matter where the money is coming from as long as the numbers still say that you're going to have a savings that's significant enough to um, justify doing the conversion. Remember, whatever you're paying on income tax is going to be more than what you're going to be paying. Uh, you, that income tax amount is going to be you know, substantial in the year that you do that distribution. So it, you've got to be getting a significant return or a significant savings one way or the other. The additional 
paying it out of your IRA, you know, okay, yeah, it hurts, but it's only a certain percentage. It's a much smaller percentage than what you're going to be paying in the taxes. That makes a lot of sense. Everyone, Label Sternbach with us. We just talked about your IRA funds to pay for taxes or should you use outside funds. Now, a company with that, should you go over your tax bracket when doing a conversion? So um, that really depends, again, on your personal situation. Mm -hmm. uh, it depends how close you are to your tax bracket. It also depends on what you're looking at in terms of retirement income, you know, in terms of RMDs in retirement. I, I have people where I tell them not only should they, you know, max out their current tax bracket, but they should go into the next tax bracket and sometimes even the tax bracket after that because it's going to save them so much money. Um, for other people, I tell them, no, you know, you should just, you know, if you're going to do conversions, just do it in your current tax bracket or don't even do conversions because the way things are set up right now, you're probably going to be in a lower tax bracket in the future. Um, you know, so for everybody, it's different. And you really, you really don't know the answer until you map it out and you see how much how much is my money going to grow in the future using, you know, like a, you know, uh, a realistic rate of return? And then how much is the RMDs, the required minimum distributions going to be on that money? And how much money do I need for income adjusted for inflation? And I think that, you know, when people, a lot of times what I'll see people do is they'll take one of those numbers out of context and they'll say, well, my required minimum distributions are going to be, you know, $400,000 or whatever. And it's like, well, what was your rate of return? And it's like, well, 10%. Well, you're in retirement. You're not investing to get 10% returns, right? So that's not realistic. Or on the flip side, they'll say, well, my income needs are, you know, and they don't even factor in their income needs. Well, you're going to be spending out of this account, right? So the account balance is going to be going down every single year. You, you know, by the time you're going to be taking distributions, it's not going to be what it is today, right? Mm -hmm. And that's another thing. It's just where you take your money out of in, in retirement. They, oftentimes, I mean, I, 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 this is one of the weird things that I find myself teaching a lot about is where you take your money out of in retirement is almost as important as when you take Social Security and how you have your money invested and whether you do Roth conversions, if not more, right? Because sometimes just prioritizing your retirement accounts completely eliminates this entire tax issue. Interesting. One final question for you this week. If you can take out your label Sternbach uh, broad brush, how can we make the most out of our Roth conversions? The way to make the most out of your Roth conversions is to is to really know what your retirement income needs are, or at least have a, a decent basis for it, and then project it out into the future to be able to decide, you know, whether it makes sense, um, and and then decide how much to do. So like for some people, and you really got to know that number because for some people, you know, they're doing their twenty, thirty thousand dollar Roth conversions, they're keeping in their tax bracket. And it's like, well, it, it's not even making a difference on your account balance or your requirement on distributions because your account is growing so much faster than what you're pulling out of it, mm -hmm. right? Um, so you really, to make the most of it, you need to have an income plan, right? And I, I fight people on this all the time. They're like, why do I need an income plan? Why I'm just going to take money out of my portfolio. No, you need to know where you're taking your money out of because taxes are going to be based on that. 
that is the number one determinant of how much you're paying in taxes is where's your money coming from and how are you generating that income? And there's a world of possibility. There's literally, you know, 80,000 plus pages of the IRS tax code at your disposal. You need to make sure it's working for you. So have that income plan first and everything else will kind of fall in line. Makes a lot of sense. And if you missed any of this conversation today, I invite you to visit yields4u.com. That's yields, the number four, the letter u.com. There are classes and, of course, a lot of information that you can find right there. I'm Freddie Bell, and more New Beginnings is straight ahead. Our program continues, and did you know that today is National Cinema Day? It celebrates movie lovers across the country and encourages you to return to the theater and enjoy a movie on the big screen. We all have memories of going to the movie theater. The excitement we felt waiting in anticipation for our favorite movie star to appear on the screen was exciting. No movie was complete without a box of fresh buttered popcorn and our favorite drink in hand. If we were lucky, we were able to get some candy, too, on National Cinema Day, everyone is encouraged to go to the movie and relive that special feeling of seeing our favorite movie star on the big screen. Movies have been around since the late 1800s, and Thomas Edison received the credit for inventing the first device to show a motion picture. In fact, Edison would be the first to commercially sell the kinetoscope invention, even though he was skeptical about his idea. That device would be used in public kinetoscope parlors for public view. By 1950, small theaters were set up in storefronts to view motion pictures known as Nickelodeons. Today we celebrate National Cinema Day. One out of every 100 people over the age of 65 will become a victim of financial fraud. Never saw it coming. He wiped us out. This must be stopped. They told us we had no choice. The Center for Combating Elder Financial Abuse conducts extensive research and provides comprehensive training to individuals and organizations to help prevent elder financial abuse. You wiped us out. How could this happen? Join the fight at endefa.org. If you have a positive COVID-19 test, it's important to stay home and away from others for a minimum of five full days from the date of the symptoms or the date you had a positive test result. When you're people who live with you, wear a well-fitting mask. You can return to most activities after five full days of staying away from others if your symptoms are getting better. Continue to wear a mask around others indoors through day 10. A message from the Minnesota Department of Health. Thank you for listening to New Beginnings. You can stay up to date with this show. All you have to do is go to Google or to Apple and download the Freddie Bell Radio Shows app. Yes, download the Freddie Bell Radio Shows app and you'll be up to date on everything concerning this show and anything related to Freddie Bell. More to come. Stay with us. Did you know that now you can see and hear Sunday morning services from Unity South Twin Cities? Search Unity South Twin Cities online and Facebook and catch the live stream Sunday mornings at 1030 on Facebook.com. Scissors, clippers, styling and profiling. Information online at thestandardmn.net in Oakdale, Minnesota. In today's world, we really need words of encouragement. Introducing Words to the Wise by Freddie Bell. Let your mind be opened by the wisdom of thought. Let the inspiration of the words feed your mind, body, and spirit. 
Regardless of the issues you face each day, Words to the Wise by Freddie Bell can help you power through. Words to the Wise by Freddie Bell, a handy reference, available on Amazon, freddiebell.com, and Barnes & Noble. As New Beginnings continues, we now take you to the spirituality portion of our program, where we introduce the senior minister of Unity South Twin Cities, the Reverend James Stacy. We now join Reverend Stacy with a program already in progress. Paul, that great teacher that shaped so much of what we call Christianity, was addressing the early Christian community that was forming in Philippi, in what we now call Macedonia. And he wrote, at the end of his letter, after he had talked on, like somebody I know, talk, 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 he said, to sum it all up, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these qualities. Our earliest prayer used in our unity tradition begins with this simple line. But what does it mean to you? The invocation begins, I am now. I am now in the presence of pure being. Some of you are mouthing the words along with me. Charles said every Unity student should begin their day, their meditation, their prayer time with the those words. Why? It's bringing your attention around to this moment. I am now in the presence of pure being, embraced by God, if you will, however it's meaningful to you to word it. But to remind yourself, like that scripture, This is the day that God has made. This is the moment that God has given me. What the What am I going to do with it? Francine caught me. I've been given this gift. You've been given this gift. You have been given this hour, this moment. What are you going to do? to do with it. When you know that, when you focus on that, you will know joy. You'll be filled with enthusiasm, another word for God flowing through us, spirit moving and animating us. Here. Now, easy to say, challenging to practice. Really try with that little piece of paper just to see how many times 
you're catching yourself Monday, tomorrow. Thinking about the week ahead or thinking about that service at Unity you had to sit through on Sunday and forgetting to claim the day that God has made for you in that moment. So let's take a moment. Let's move into the silence. Father, Mother, God, life-giving, life-sustaining power. I am now immersed in your presence. In this moment, in your embrace, my body is healed because I see it aligned with the truth you created, the gift that you gave me. That is a healing pulse. Spirit of the living God, in this moment, you are all wisdom guiding the clarity of my thinking, the warmth of my feeling, and the firmness and strength of my willing to act. Father, Mother, God, I am a song you are singing into life. I am your beautiful melody, unlike any other. I will allow the world to hear me, to hear your song. That is me. This moment is our life. It is our love. It is our wisdom. It is our power. It is our substance. Because it is. Now. I recall a technique of our friend Marlene. If you're struggling with anything in this moment, are you okay now? How about now? Is everything okay now? We give thanks for the blessing 
of now. We give thanks for the blessing of presence between us. Let's close this reflection. If you want to join me, if you want to support me, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Let's try it again. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Try that this week. Sing that. And if that doesn't bring you to this moment and make you aware of the omnipotent good of God embracing you, rooting for you, guiding you, reassuring you, empowering you, only the now will do it. You just heard a message coming from the Reverend James Stacy, the Senior Minister of Unity South in the Twin Cities. More information is found at their website at unitysouth.org. Thanks for joining me, and here are today's words to the wise. Singing warms the heart. Today's words to the wise, singing warms the heart. In the symphony of life, remember the profound impact of song. Singing warms the heart and stirs emotion, bringing solace in times of sorrow and celebrating the heights of joy. Embrace the power of music to heal, the power of song to inspire, and to connect us with others. Whether it's a lullaby to soothe a restless soul or a melody of unity that transcends borders, let the power of song be a constant companion on your journey through life. Sing with passion and let the warmth of your heart resonate with the world around you. Today's word to the wise, singing warms the heart. If you'd like to learn more, just download the Freddie Bell Radio Show's app for more Words to the Wise. That's our show, and thanks to our special guests for stopping by and sharing information that we hope can change lives. If you missed any of today's show, you can subscribe to our podcast or just Google Freddie Bell or stop by my website of the same name. Thanks for listening, and remember that each day is a chance for a new beginning. See you next week. 